Well, good evening, everybody. We'll be closing out our day together with a brief meditation on Psalm 122, verse 1. So if you want to follow along, please open up your Bibles to Psalm 122. And as you do so, let's ask the Lord's favor one more time on the preaching of his word. Our Heavenly Father, we would be lost if we did not have your word. And Holy Spirit, we would still be lost with your word if you did not instruct us and open our eyes and help us to see what it says, to understand it and to have the strength and power to obey it and to do it. So we pray for your favor tonight. Enable us to do these things, we pray. Amen. Psalm 122, verse 1 says, A son of ascents of David, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Well, before we get into the verse itself, it might be helpful to provide a small amount of historical background and also a very brief observation taken from the rest of the psalm. Now, you might recall from a while ago in our Sunday school morning instruction, that the Psalms can be partitioned into five sections. And the last section within which we find our Psalm this evening is a section primarily marked by praise. Praises that orient around the Davidic kingdom, the rule of the Davidic kingdom. As we see in our Psalm's title, the Psalm is a Psalm of ascent. Ascent comes from the word ascend, which means to go up. And these were songs that the people of Israel sang as they journeyed from their homes within the land, towards Jerusalem in order to celebrate festivals at the tabernacle, tabernacle, or later the temple. And since Jerusalem was positioned on a high hill, the journey was an upward one, hence the naming of the sons of ascent. And these pilgrimages were to obey the command of the Lord, where they were together three times in the year to celebrate three festivals. And they were to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, sometimes also called Pentecost, and the Feast of Ingathering. And this command can be found in Exodus 34, verses 18 through 23. Well, our psalm this evening has in itself a large emphasis on the city of Jerusalem. The psalmist highlights a number of aspects about Jerusalem, which provides some helpful context. I'm not going to read the psalm out. We'll just briefly summarize them here for you. For one, Jerusalem is a place of divine establishment. Through the leadership of David, God's appointed king, Jerusalem was established as the hub and center of the nation of Israel to serve as the focal point for a number of activities. And secondly, Jerusalem was the location as the place of rule and judgment. David, again, God's anointed king, built his house in Jerusalem. And following him, his son Solomon ruled from there, followed by all the subsequent kings of Judah. Thirdly, Jerusalem was appointed as the place of national worship. It was Jerusalem that ultimately housed the tabernacle and later the temple where the Israelites would go to offer sacrifices for atonement and thanksgiving. The place of worship was called the house of the Lord and it was for this special honor, God with his people, this crowning rule that the psalmist prayed for the peace of Jerusalem. Now let's bring this all together for the purpose of shedding some background context in our evening's verse. We are not Israelites, and we do not live in the Middle East, and Jerusalem is not the place we go to worship God. 
and said, we are Christians if we are indeed united by Christ, by faith. And we live in the age that experiences the beginning of all these things that the Old Testament age foreshadowed. Jesus Christ is the descendant of David, who is anointed by God to rule God's chosen people. This kingdom of God was announced when Jesus appeared on the scene of human history. And with Jesus' perfect life of obedience to the Father, and with his sacrificial and atoning death that satisfies the penalty for transgressors, God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand to receive and rule this kingdom. This is an eternal kingdom. And as Jesus pours out the Spirit for the increase of God's word, the kingdom grows, and it will grow to the uttermost parts of the earth, saving sinners from all nations, tribes, and languages. And we currently see this kingdom foremost in the visible church, a gathering of people saved by God from their sins to be a witness to the power of God and to proclaim that God, what God has done for fallen man. Praise be to God. So in light of all of this, let's read verse 1 again. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Given the spiritual realities signified for us in the Old Testament setting, we can surmise that the purpose of our verse is to show us the duty, privilege, and benefits of God's chosen people. And for our reflection this evening, I want to discuss three particular ways of thinking that should mark God's chosen people. Three dispositions that should demonstrate themselves in the communal gathering of the saints. And these dispositions are gladness, mutual encouragement, and anticipation of God's promises. So gladness, mutual encouragement, and anticipation of God's promises. So in the first place, let us note that God's people should be full of gladness. Our writer of the psalm says he was glad when he was asked to go to the house of the Lord. We can well imagine why the gladness and rejoicing might be the signature attitude of the heart. The journey up to Jerusalem offered particular opportunities to the pilgrim because it entailed a physical act of packing up one's things and going on a journey with family and friends. We're all aware from our own present day experience of both relief and excitement that comes with the, choice, with the chance to break the normal routine of our daily activities in order to go on a vacation or even a special trip for the day to another place. Likewise here, we can imagine that there was some, the same joyful air bundled up with the traveling pilgrim. Even more so, perhaps, because of the purpose behind the trip, which was to go to worship the living Lord. Without even considering yet how they were to worship, the very fact that they were called the people of God, set aside by many mighty works and demonstrations of faithfulness from the Lord, would be good grounds for gladness of heart. Israel, often stubborn and rebellious, knew from the law that they were in communion with God, who understood their infirmities, and yet, still in his grace, appointed ways for them to approach him in acceptable worship. And so the mere privilege of going up to the house of the Lord to worship was a source of gladness and joy. Consider, too, the manner in which they worship God. They went up to festivals. These were regular celebrations that would allow them to go and give thanksgiving sacrifices to the Lord. And these sacrifices were the gifts the people were able to give back to the Lord out of expression for the kind way that God had dealt with them in his good providence over their lives. 
remember that the Israelites lived in a heavily agrarian culture. And so to be able to have a living and have food to eat was highly dependent on the kindness of God who makes the rains fall on the righteous and even the wicked. Therefore, to be able to go on such a trip and to take something out of the abundance of one's provision was a very tangible reminder of the ongoing dependence that people have on God for their daily needs and the faithfulness with which God has cared for his people. And this manner of worship was clearly a very communal activity. We live in a time when isolation is on the rise. And as those who suffer even the smallest amounts of loneliness will know, to be included in a shared activity is a very soul-uplifting experience. And so we can imagine it is the same for the Israelite. Their journey from their home to Jerusalem would no doubt have been made in the company of one's family or clan or neighbor from the city. Similarly, when they had reached Jerusalem and went up to the house of the Lord, it would have been together that the sacrifice was made, along with the sharing of the meal between the household. The togetherness aspect is a great balm for the tired heart, and so it is undoubtedly would have been a source of gladness to go up to the house of the Lord. And so what of us, church? Does gladness and joy describe our disposition? Or do we more often than not feel a spirit of grumbling and reluctance within us? We too should be filled with gladness when we have the opportunity to worship as a corporate body. Sunday's gatherings should be considered so much more biased than mere duty or privilege. These things they are undoubtedly, but we ought to see them in the communal and celebratory fashion that the feasts of old would be considered. When we are together, we get to enjoy each other's company and gifts as we partake in the worship of the Lord. We get to hear from his word of his mercy and grace and provision to us through his son, Jesus. We learn of his wisdom to live upright and spiritually healthy lives. And we get to unite our intentions and expectations in prayer and for unified expressions of our hearts in song. So we, of all people, should be full of gladness. Well, our second disposition to note is that God's people should provide mutual encouragement. We have already touched on the idea of how the communal aspect of the journey to the feast would bring gladness to the soul. But now in this disposition, we will consider how this communal aspect exhibits itself in a very important way for God's gathered people. Our text says that the psalmist was glad when they said to him, let us go. Note here that the interaction is one of encouragement and exhortation from someone else. It was not the psalmist on his own that set out by himself. Some Israelites, it was possibly a struggle to make the journey up to the house of the Lord, but what kindness it would have been to have neighbors and family to help them overcome any emotional despondency or physical infirmity by taking them by the hand and leading them on the way, encouraging them with words of song as they reminded each other of all the mighty works of God that he had done to bring about for them a land and a house of worship. Well, in this expression, we find a helpful word for those who would do good to their brothers and sisters in the faith. And we are not always full of the strength and vitality that we would hope for. On the one hand, life is full of various seasons that bring with it the ability to work vigorously. But likewise, on the other hand, we experience downturns that leave us unable to strive as we would wish, or as we once did, whether it be the aging of the body, or the dark providence of illness or disease, Life's circumstances change around us, 
and we can oftentimes lag in our ability to respond to them. But thanks be to God in his unsearchable wisdom that he does not save for himself isolated people that are unrelated to each other, but rather he brings us into his family, of which Jesus is the head, and we become his body, the church. And so just as our psalmist was glad when his fellow pilgrims gathered around him to encourage and perhaps exhort him onto the journey to the house of the Lord, so too we should be marked as people who act likewise. So church, let us keep our eyes open for such opportunities to encourage those around us as we seek together on a weekly basis. Let us be full of encouraging words that enfold our brethren with a desire to be seen regularly as we gather for Sunday worship. And also during the week as we build one another one up, another one up in the ministry of the word. And even if times may require for a wandering sheep, let us exhort them to join us in the festival, in the festive gathering that we have been privileged to share in. So lastly, our third disposition to note is God's people should anticipate God's promises. Our psalmist ends this line with the words, let us go to the house of the Lord. From this, I want you to see that in this statement, there is something bigger going on than the mere everyday religious experience. We have noted in our prior points the heart dispositions that ought to be manifest in God's people as they approach and partake in worship. Gladness and mutual encouragement spring forth primarily from recalling what God has done for us. However, here in this closing thought, the disposition springs out of what God still has to do. When we gather as God's people, we should be anticipating the final completion of all things that God has promised. You see, the Israelites were not merely going to the fanciest or most opulent restaurant for a pleasant few hours of fellowship. They were going to the house of the Lord. The house is the Lord's house, Yahweh, creator of heaven and of earth. This was not the same, this was not some man-made institution. This was not like the temple houses of the heathens who would fill them with lifeless statues and figurines, mere playthings for the futile mind. No, this was the house of the living God. Inside it was his Ark of the Covenant, a testimony of his promises to his people, and he was pleased to fill this house with his glory. God had promised to Israel, after saving them from bondage, that they would receive a land and that God would be their God and they would be his people. For the Israelite growing up to the early festivals, this was proof positive that God was keeping his promises and that he could be trusted. And these promises that were so significant for Israel during their time have developed into greater spiritual realities and significance in our time. For we now know the ultimate fulfillment of these things are in Christ. And as we mentioned earlier, Christ our King has now assumed his seat on the throne, having received his kingdom so well earned, a kingdom he says he will share with us as an inheritance. Therefore we should look to the ultimate completion of this kingdom-building task and the return of the Lord. So, brothers and sisters, let us gather regularly to offer praise and worship to our God, who has been so gracious to make his dwelling place in our hearts with the Holy Spirit. Let us gather with confident expectation of the full outworking of his kingdom, which Jesus said would expand to the uttermost ends of the world. Let us not be discouraged by setbacks or difficulties. The very gates of hell before us will not prevail 
against the expansion of God's kingdom. And so with gladness in our hearts, let us take each other by the hand and look towards that day when we shall hear the trumpet sound and see our Lord coming on the clouds of heaven in glory. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the church. We thank you for saving us into it, for saving us into this particular church. And we ask, Lord, that you would indeed work on us an attitude of gladness, that you would grow us in the mutual encouragement and exaltation of our brothers and sisters. And I pray that you would fill us with the hope of the life to come. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.